You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hello and welcome into Tuesday's edition of Crunch Time right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros, Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Severe weather in the area, entering our area now. Please be very careful if you are out on the roads. Try to avoid being on the roads if at all possible. Uh, But if it is necessary, please drive with absolute caution. Avoid water, things of that nature. Um, just be safe. Uh, so today's show, 90 minutes long, once again, giving away to LSU men's basketball this time as they are in Fayetteville, Arkansas, to take on the Razorbacks. Pre-game's at 5.30. Tip-off is set for 6 right here on the game. We will preview college softball as well as we are only about two weeks away from the start of that season. Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball, he will join us. We will preview the Cajuns, the Tigers, and the Cowgirls. And we will also get a preview for the LSU basketball game with our guy Matthew Bruni from On3.com. Producer, co-host, a Bill Nye superfan, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Tuesday, sir. How are you? Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill Nye, the science guy. Science rules. (laughs) What's going on, bud? How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine, Matt. How are you? Oh, peachy. 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 As opposed to like orangey? Uh, maybe a little tangerine I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I'm doing great, man. pomegranate I don't know. So we're going to recap LSU women's basketball's 20th victory over Alabama last night in absolute dramatic, dramatic fashion. Um, I mean, just owned them start to finish. Just spanked them. Beat them up. 89 to 51. That's second quarter. Oh my God. <laughs> they got away from them. Oh. And they got away from them very quickly. Um, Angel Reese making LSU history. Are we surprised? No. No. Nah. 20 games. 20, 20 double, double doubles. doubles. I mean, what, what more? What more can you say? And. Again, continuing their their best start in school history, sitting at twenty and zero. But for the first time in in what feels like a long while, James, it wasn't just Angel Reese. She didn't do it alone. Oh, dude, everybody's chipped in. You had Ladesha Williams score seventeen. She had a double double as well with ten boards. Jasmine Carson was lethal. Last night, 8 of 14 from the floor, 4 of 8 from downtown, 20.7 boards. She also had 3 steals and 2 assists. And then Alexis Morris. You know, we talked about it with Corey yesterday. Alexis Morris went from being the scorer last year with Kayla Pointer to being the facilitator. But, you know, last night she was able to get some points of her own going 7 of 12, scoring 17 points and 7 assists as well. I mean, just an all-around team effort, and like you said, that second quarter, outscoring Alabama twenty-eight to seven. And here's and here's the thing: not only were they scoring at will, not only were they 
dominating the boards. And not only were they dishing it to teammates again to assist, but it was also a block party. Correct. Correct. Everybody seven, was getting on getting in on the block party. Seven blocks for the Tigers. What a performance. And you know, you look at that score when you outscored them twenty eight to seven in the second quarter. L- look at this. A SEC women's basketball team that was receiving votes to enter the AP top twenty five. You held them to 18 points in the first half? Are you kidding me? For for the people that might think that LSU start is a fluke, no. I, I really I really want no. you to think again. <laughs> this team is for real. And it's wild because they ended up being dropped down to number four. Yeah, they they fell. They fell, but that's fine. Ohio State lost last night. They were number two. So LSU's just going to slip back up to, to number three next week. Shout out Caitlin Clark. Cool. Kill, absolutely killing the game. She, Caitlin Clark is, she is next level. She is a fantastic, her and Paige Bukers are, are like the two, and then obviously Angel Reese and Aaliyah Boston, probably the four best players in, in women's college basketball. I mean, just absolute superstars. But your poll question of the day today, going back to kind of the similar topic that we discussed yesterday with the conference championship games, which head coach in the playoffs do you trust the most? Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Zach Taylor, or Nick Sirianni? James, who would you choose out of those four? I'm leaning towards uh, Mr. Cheeseburger. I'm going with Andy Reid. Yeah, he's done it, man. He's done it. I love, I love what Nick Sirianni has done in these first two years. But looking at the resumes and looking at right. the experience, I, I, it's not that I don't trust any of these coaches. I just trust Andy Reid the most. Andy Reid would have two rings if he hadn't ran into prime Tom Brady. They'd have won that Super Bowl in Philly had he not run into prime Tom Brady. The year he went with Donovan McNabb. I I really believe that the, the Eagles would have won that Super Bowl in 04 had they not run into prime Tom Brady, like I said. But you look at you look at his resume. He's pl- coached in three Super Bowls. He's won one of them. Could very well win a second one this year. Got to wait and see what happens with Patrick Mahomes, but out of the you, like you said, you look at the resumes. Andy Reid's pops off the page at you. Next one would probably be Kyle Shanahan. Correct. Um, the only thing with Kyle Shanahan is he is been a part of kind of like some major blunders when it comes to the Super Bowl. Correct. And being nearly in the Super Bowl because. I don't blame him, obviously, for uh, Jaquiski Tart, I believe, dropping. And then easy, the easy pick that of more likely not sent the 49ers to the Super Bowl last year. But right, looking at it, they he was just a part of, and I oh for I, I sure, put this, I put this more on kind of like Jimmy G for that throw, but like kind of just what had happened against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and then losing to Brady. In the 2017 Super Bowl, you know, 28-3. So it just know, it just more it the closer they oh, get, for sure. the closer they get to the to the Super Bowl, it's like 
I start to worry a little bit more because like week one through the division round, it's like I don't really have I don't have an issue with Kyle Shanahan. It's just as soon as we get close to it, it's like okay, now it starts to get real iffy. Right. Looking at the comments, Ton said, Reader Shanahan, I went with Shanahan, but it's really 50-50. By the way, Angels haven't been relevant since they had actual Angels in the outfield. Okay. John Paul says, Shanahan wins when he has a healthy team. Reed has very little choke history, and the others are just a bit unproven. Ralph says, I just checked in with Foot, and he said it didn't matter. The refs will determine the outcome, not the coaches. Yikes. I, I, I disagree with that, but I, I'm not a believer that the NFL is rigged. I just I just don't I, I don't buy into that conspiracy. Maybe maybe that's naive of me, but I just I, I fail to to buy into that that the outcome of the game is decided before it even begins to to be played. I just that that, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but Ralph also said, if you go by winning percentage, it's Taylor. But Reed has so much experience. Honestly, I think at this point, it's more Jimmys and Joes than X's and O's. Bengals versus Eagles in the Super Bowl. James, is that who you have going to the Super Bowl, the Bengals and the Eagles? Early on, that's that's kind of where I lean. Yeah. Because, like, look, I mean, 49ers... They're, they're still doing their thing. Don't get me wrong. They're still playing really well on defense. The way their offense played Sunday is concerning. However, that it's that concerning. offensive performance where that's kind of the game where you would kind of ask maybe a little bit more of Brock Purdy. Yep. It, and, it's concerning. And it just didn't kind of pop up. However, Trent Williams absolutely handled business. Whoever whoever was on the left side trying to rush, he was he was handing a he was handling clinic right there. Looking at some top stories in the world of sports, Tony Pollard will have tightrope surgery for his broken fibula and is expected to be out three months, which puts him returning in April, May. So, so you know, won't really miss any significant time considering that's the majority of their their break. Organized team activities don't really pick up till May or June. So, and then... Aaron Rodgers, obviously, you know, that's the the conversation has been will he return to Green Bay? Will he return to football at all? Uh, it is looking more and more like he will not return to Green Bay. Uh, the, the story is that he is looking to be traded. Denver, I mean, Green Bay has announced that they will not trade him to an NFC team. They are Darn. only looking <laughs> New Orleans to trade there. him into the AFC. Some of the top contenders: Titans, Colts, Raiders. I initially, I initially look at the Colts and the Ra- and the uh, Raiders. Because, both make sense because both make sense. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers get get to go back and play with one another again. Yep. And then the Colts, it kind of just feels like it makes sense because you know, Packers, Colts, good defenses, good overall defenses. Um star superstar running back at the helm pretty good offensive line and then you have a standout receiver just one though because you know green bay green bay ever <laughs> since 2016 or 2017 has refused has to have us, has has refused to have two or three good receivers <laughs> correct that consistently make plays correct and now we'll 
it'll, it'll be interesting to see if Rodgers does go to Vegas because obviously the, the team up with, like you mentioned, with Devontae Adams, you know, the reason Devontae left out of Green Bay was largely believed because the relationship between he and Rodgers had kind of been broken. So how does how does that work? How does that play out? Um, very interested to see if, if he ends up with somebody like the Colts, like you mentioned, with a guy like Michael Pittman and a great running back in Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but the big key here is that Rodgers said today that if he does decide to play in 2023 with a new team, he would be open to reworking his deal. He'd For be, the third time in three years. Well, <laughs> correct. Uh, he, nice. he, he would be open to reworking his contract uh, if, it, if he plays in 2023. Also, Bill O'Brien returns to the NFL as the Patriots offensive coordinator. So you mean Bill Belichick and, and Robert Kraft met up and, and Bob said, hey, hey, Bill, I'm going to need you to hire an offensive guy Not a to run the, coordinator to run the offense. We, we need an offensive mind to run the offense, not Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, a special teams and defensive coordinator. So figure that out, please. And it's funny because the Patriots are a lot like the Saints where they really love their continuity. Right, and, and I'm fine with continuity. They, they Matt really, Patricia they really love their continuity. cannot run your offense. No. And that's why, that's why you brought back an old OC. That's why Jacoby Myers threw it 30 yards downfield for a loss. I just, Matt Patricia. Who, again, that, that's just going back to yesterday. Who, when we were talking about the Cowboys play at the end of the Cowboys-Niners game, who sat in a meeting and said, you know who would be a good offensive coordinator? Matt Patricia. A defensive mind. A guy who has only had success in the NFL as a defensive coordinator. He can run the offense. Oh man. It's Anyways. also it's also to me kind of like how a defensive minded head coach makes decisions on the quarterback. <laughs> <clears throat> Dennis Allen. <clears throat> oh, Sorry, God. I got to clear Something my throat. In my throat. Oh my man. goodness. Uh before what's going on? before we had to timeout number 1, a, a bad accident on I-49 northbound and southbound between Karen Crow and Sunset. So once again, Bad weather, bad accidents. Try to avoid being on the roads if at all possible. Uh, we will take a timeout here, and when we return, we will hear from Kim Mulkey following the massive win over Alabama inside Coleman Coliseum. You are listening to Crunch Time. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you need help taking your lady out for Valentine's Day, the help you need can be found inside the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Score $150 to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cyber's Bayou Casino Resort, $50 to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville, $40 to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, or $25 to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. Score these great prizes to help you with Valentine's Day by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Sign up today. 
Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 421 back here on Crunch Time. Remember, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. I saw that there was a billboard put up in Baton Rouge this morning, and it is Angel Reese palming two basketballs with her arms stretched wide, and they put a halo around her head, and it it says, The City of Angel. Because, you know, L.A. is the city yes. of angels. Yeah, very clever. Um, or, you know, somebody commented, Baton Reese would have worked, too, if you played it right. That's not too bad. That's, that's pretty good. You could have gone either way there. Uh, that's, not, that's not too bad. But, uh, man, LSU has knocked it out of the park over the last couple months in terms of, of marketing like that. Um, yeah, what what more can you say about Angel Reese? Twenty games, twenty double doubles, breaking Sylvia Fowles' record, and she's only a sophomore. That can't be stated enough. She's a sophomore. That means she will be returning next year and potentially the year after. That's insane to think about. But no, so. Before the break, we talked about Bill O'Brien becoming the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. One reason that is interesting is he is now reuniting with Mac Jones, who they had a relationship, of course, at Alabama when O'Brien was the OC there uh, with, with Mac Jones at the quarterback spot. So Martin chimed in and asked, do we think that Mac Jones will have a better year now that Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator? In theory, yes. Because now you have a real offensive coordinator, for for one. And then second, it's one that you've worked with before. So there's already a working relationship. You already know the system that he's going to bring in. And you were pretty damn good in that system. So yes, on paper, it sounds great. Mac Jones could very well be a top 10 quarterback under Bill O'Brien. But is it going to pan out? Because if you look at their weapons, what do you say all the time? A quarterback is only as good as his supporting cast. Ramondre Stevenson, great running back. You're good there. But your receivers? Jacoby Myers? A washed Devontae Parker, Hunter Henry, surgically put together. You you have nobody to throw to. Well, here's the thing. This this Patriots offense kind of reminds me, receiving core-wise, it reminds me of the Chiefs offense because we had talked about it before how Chiefs don't have an alpha necessarily at the wide receiver position. Correct. They just have a bunch of guys that are just gonna that are just kind of hard to guard, so you can't really pinpoint one down and feel good about yourself because, like, well, somebody else is probably gonna go off because they all have the capability of doing it. 
The Patriots offense is constructed kind of the same way. It's just one level down. And then the quarterbacks, I mean, Mahomes is the arguably, a lot of people say, the best quarterback in the league. Mac Jones, to me, is two or three levels down from that. So you have a level down at receiver, two or three levels down at quarterback, and then you had a DC at your OC. I mean, that's obviously not going to, that's going to lead to a recipe for disaster. You actually having your quarterback work with the OC that he had had in college where he showed off his talents to become a top 15 pick in the NFL draft to me is going to help. Do I think that they're going to be a top five or top 10 offense? No, but I think them going from more in the bottom of the barrel, I think they become more in the middle of the pack. I think they can, I, I think they can lead to a top 14 offense. Yeah. I, I could see them being a middle of the road team contending to win the AFC East. But again, you know, you're going to have to fix that receiving core if you want to find success in the New England offense. Because, yes, Tom Brady was good at making average receivers look great. I mean, Julian Edelman didn't play receiver until he got to the NFL, and he looked like a stud when Brady was there. But that's also because of it was Tom Brady. Mac Jones can't make Julian Edelman look good. That's not necessarily a, na- a knock on Mac Jones. That's just the fact. So if you want Mac Jones to be your quarterback of the future, which is which is fine, he's capable of being that, you're going to have to put pieces around him in order for that to work. Now, Bill O'Brien being the offensive coordinator is a great step one. But what's next? You know, Are, are you going to go get a Brandon Cooks? Are you going to go get an Odell Beckham Jr.? A Michael Thomas. A Michael Thomas. you got to get him somebody that is dependable to get you 70-plus catches and 1,000 yards a season. That's what you need. And then you get other guys, you know, Juju Smith-Schusters and, you know, guys of that caliber around him. And then put, you know, Jacoby Myers at number three because he would be a good number three. But if Jacoby Myers is your number one receiver, oh, buddy, do you have problems? You have major issues, if if that's the case. But going back to LSU women's basketball, Kim Mulkey met with the media following the victory, and she gave her immediate thoughts on starting the season 20-0. and 0. I think it started on defense. I think we... Uh, put Angel Reese on Brittany Davis. And I think she set the tone with her length and size and everything Brittany, um, you know, got, she had to work for. And I thought that, um, you know, those uh, Alabama, they, they scored 10 threes a game and we held them to half that. And I just thought our defense was active. I thought that we moved, I thought we communicated. Um, you got four kids that scored in double figures. You had three kids that scored or that rebounded double figures. We shot the ball really well. Jasmine Carson really, really lit it up from the three, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Speaking of Jasmine Carson shooting, we talked about it earlier, four of eight from downtown, 20 points on the night. Kim Mulkey elaborated on her performance, plus, again, elaborating further on the play of the team's defense. 
Well, it opens it up for you. It gives you this sigh of relief, like, whew, now we can spread the floor a little bit better and they don't pack it in the paint. Uh, Jasmine, you know, I've only had one other kid in all my coaching career that when they miss, you're really disappointed because you expect them to make every shot they take out there. And she, um, I'm not even going to say she was on fire. That's just what we expect to see from Jasmine. And uh, she shot the ball good and, uh uh, we we just we just had a good night, guys, and uh, to hold, you know, Alabama to what was it, 51 points? I don't know if that's a season low or I don't know, but that's that's pretty good. 18 points on the road in the first half. Um, that's that's guarding people. And then you know, there's been conversation among fans about Angel Reese, you know, going to the foul line a ton in in the first 20 games. So. Following the win, Kim Mulkey was asked, "Do you think there's been, you know, dirty play or maybe a hack a shack mentality towards Angel Reese?" You're right. Um, I, I think with hack, maybe hack a shack. Uh, y'all can tell me better than anybody. I think most of his was they didn't respect his free throw shooting. So every time he touched it, they wanted him to go to the foul line. I don't think that's what it is with Angel. I think she's just a a beast, and they don't want her to score. Uh, she can make her free throws when she needs to. Um, I think they do body up to her. You know, it's it's respect, first of all. I don't think it's dirty play in any way. It's just respect, and she's going to have to learn how to handle that, and I think she has. Um, I'm going to work the officials. I will protect her. Uh, she's not a person that, that needs much protection physically because she's got that body, but if they officiate it the way they have been, I see no problem. Quickly now, before we take a break, there's a Twitter report from Dov Kleeman that states that the Broncos have made the decision that they want to hire Saints coach Sean Payton if he's interested. And that's according to Fox Sports. Russell Wilson has also told ownership that he wants Payton as head coach. That is according to Colin Cowherd. Also, according to Cowherd, there's a strong connection with Sean Payton and says that the ball is now in Sean Payton's court. So, does that interview with Carolina later this week, or even Arizona, do they even take place? We'll see. Matthew Bruni joins us next for a preview of LSU Arkansas right here on The Game. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to talk LSU men's basketball as they prepare to take on the Arkansas Razorbacks this evening inside Bud Walton Arena. Tip-off set for 6 o'clock, and you can hear it right here on the game, starting with pregame at 5.30. Matthew Bruni of On3.com joins us on the game hotline to preview this matchup. Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? Hey, I'm I'm doing great. Uh, A little rainy outside now, but... um been a, another productive day at the Bengal Tiger on three. Yeah, that severe weather's definitely uh, definitely starting to push in here into uh, into our area. But you know, looking at LSU men's basketball dropping their last six SEC games, really looking for just some sort of of positive here as as you head down into the final ten games or so in Matt McMahon's first season. 
You've already got a win against Arkansas, which gives you a little bit of confidence heading into tonight. But you know, just looking at the team as a whole, what's the mindset of this group heading into this contest? Yeah, I think uh, for those looking to be positive, um, I think the most obvious avenue to do that is that the the toughest part of the schedule is behind them for the most part. Like the stretch of Alabama, Auburn, and Tennessee back to back to back over the past week and a half has been brutal. Um, those are three very, very good teams. Those are three, arguably, the three best teams in the conference. And uh, then they play Arkansas, who you know might still be the fourth best team in the conference, even with their injuries. Um, so you get through tonight, you know, win or lose, they're heavy underdogs here, um, and then you kind of move forward from there because uh, the back half of the schedule is just so much easier. I mean, they haven't even played South Carolina, Vanderbilt, you know, the Mississippi's schools, Georgia, you know, all those teams. I'm not saying that they're all going to be wins, but it will get easier after this Arkansas game. Uh, we knew it would be a tough start to the season, but, you know, obviously one and six coming into tonight's game against uh, Arkansas is not where anybody wanted to be. Yeah, of course, you know, obviously when, when Matt McMahon took over this job, nobody expected you know, greatness in, in year number one because obviously a program takes a lot longer than just one year to rebuild. Um, but, you know, guys like K.J. Williams kind of leading the charge, averaging 18 points a game. The the thing that I've noticed the most is lack of consistency around K.J. You know, Adam Miller w- was supposed to be the, this great spot-up shooter that, that just really hasn't panned out so far this year due to his injury last year, still trying to get his his legs back under him. You know, Trey Hannibal has, has flashed at times, but really just not consistent enough. Cam Hayes, kind of the same thing. Where can Matt McMahon find offensive consistency outside of K.J. Williams? Yeah, it's definitely been a rotating door with all the guys that you named, and obviously it hurts. Um, even though Juice Hill wasn't playing great, um, still not to have him is is another blow for this team. So um, you you hope Hannibal, Miller, and Hayes, you hope you know one or two of them can have strong nights alongside Williams. Um, ultimately, Miller Miller's three point shooting is just really valuable for this team. Uh, you got to hope that he find it kind of hits his stride. Trey Hannibal is important as well because he can get to the paint and finish, which is something this team just doesn't do very well at all. One of the worst, you know, two point shooting teams uh, in the conference by by a pretty wide, long margin. And then Cam Hayes has the shot creation, so they all have their own different strengths. And it would be great if all three of them were consistently good. Uh, but obviously, you know, college basketball, you have your inconsistencies. So it kind of just depends on who plays well that night. Um, we'll see tonight who ends up stepping up because KJ, like you said, for the most part, has been the, the consistent player. Uh, presence for this team offensively now you know in in your opinion Moani Wilkinson was a was a player that started off the season with the Tigers and now it is gone for the year due to injury what do you think how big of the of a loss do you think Moani Wilkinson has been over the last you know five or six games yeah, I think coming into the season, uh, Matt McMahon was really high on Imani Wilkinson because he just kept showing in practice how good he was. 
Um, I had heard last year from Will Wade at times, you know, that Imani Wilkinson looks great in practices, and it just didn't quite translate to games. So that might have been the same thing that uh, Matt McMahon had seen, you know, over the offseason, him just really playing well and doing well in practices and then getting the games, and he wasn't quite, you know, as crisp. But at the end of the day, he still is a very, very, uh, very high-level defender. He can make corner threes, um, and he is a body on the wing that this team just kind of needed uh, off the bench um, as the season progressed. So not having him obviously hurts their wing depth. You're going to see a lot more Tyrell Ward, uh, the freshman, um, at the three a little bit more whenever there is a little bit of a rotation with Miller and Hannibal and, and Hayes. So... It hurts from a depth perspective, uh, but, you know, Imani was, was struggling even before the injury as well. Chatting with Matthew Bruni here on Crunch Time. And then, you know, to add on to the Moani Wilkinson story, Justice Hill is, is a guy that has stepped away from the team last week due to due to personal reasons. Have the Tigers heard anything from, from Juice? You know, what's the latest? How long is he expected to be out, or do they even have an idea? Yeah, there was no timetable, and McMahon said he um, would not have a timetable for a bit. I think uh, whenever we get the next press conference where it's just McMahon and it's not in a post-game setting, he'll be asked about that as, again. Um, so we'll get a little bit of clarity then. But, yeah, there has not been an, an update on that front. But, yeah, Juice, even though, like I said earlier, he, even though he was not playing well and you know the, the jumper wasn't falling and he wasn't getting to the rim as well as he would like um, still just having that presence at the point guard spot. He had an incredibly high assist rate, the highest on the team. So you lose a little bit of that creation um, that, you know, a, a solid point guard can give you. Looking at the game tonight against Arkansas, what can they take away from that first win in Baton Rouge just a few weeks ago that, that maybe they could repeat t- tonight on the road? Yeah, I, I think the the first thing is Arkansas is not a three point shooting team. They are eleventh in the conference in three point attempt or in three point percentage. They're last in three point attempt rate, and uh, LSU was able to really pack it in and make Arkansas uncomfortable, make Anthony Black uncomfortable, um, guy like Jordan Walsh uncomfortable. So, if if they can repeat that and pack it in and really force Arkansas to shoot jumpers, I think that they'll have a chance in this game. Arkansas is two and five in conference right now, but. Um, you know, for those who don't know, they had a guy in Trevon Brazil from transfer from Missouri who was looking like a, a first round draft pick, might still be. Um, they had Nick Smith, who was a five star guard, came in and has only played five games for them. So they are piecing it together a little bit, but um, they're still talented enough, led by Ricky Council and uh, Anthony Black um, at the guard positions there, too, where they want to get in the paint. They're going to force the issue at times. They want to get to the free throw line, uh, but yeah, they're not a great three-point shooting team, and they do turn the ball over quite a bit. So that's kind of where LSU had success last time, winning 60-57, to low-scoring game. That's probably what it's going to have to be tonight as well. And then lastly, Matthew, before we wrap up, how impressed have you been with Kim Mulkey and the job that she has done just in year number two with the Tigers 20-0 and and top five in the country? Oh, I mean, it's it's been incredible. I mean, the way that uh, if whoever was at that the last game against Arkansas at home, we'll know it was just an awesome environment. You know, the student section was heavily involved. I feel like the students have been waiting for some from basketball to get <laughs> to get behind at this point. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, they, they after that they go on the road and beat Alabama by 
35 and improved to 20 and 0. So they got a big game on January 30th on Monday against Tennessee at home. Um, Tennessee comes in undefeated. LSU is undefeated. Obviously, both you know chasing South Carolina ultimately, but um, that'll be a huge game as well. They've been a ton of fun to cover, and uh, you know they're just getting started. Matthew Bruni of Bengal Tiger on three joining us here on the game hotline. Matthew, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, thanks for having me. Anytime. And there he goes, Matthew Bruni of Bengal Tiger on three. Before we take the final timeout of our number one. Tornado warnings starting to creep across the Texas-Louisiana state line. So for our listeners in Lake Charles, please be on the lookout for the severe weather that is entering your area and just stay safe. As a reminder, accidents both northbound and southbound on I-49 between Karen Crow and Sunset. We'll take a time out here, wrap up hour number one after this here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game is throwing you something far better than just some cheap plastic beads of this Mardi Gras. That's right, score a $500 Visa gift card. Just download the game mobile app, open the app, and click on the Mardi Gras Moolah tab and you are on your way to winning $500 in a Visa gift card. It's the game's Mardi Gras Moolah sweepstakes. Download the app, win money. It's that simple, and it's all from the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Let's continue that conversation before we kind of hit that middle-of-the-road break and talk a little bit more about Sean Payton because if you hadn't checked it out yet, I did write an article on all the possibilities, really, realistically, of where he could land and where I think he will go. And, I mean, we had mentioned the Cardinals, we had mentioned the Panthers, mentioned the Texans, and mentioned the Broncos. Broncos are reportedly the favorite at this point because they are like, hey, look, Sean, if you want to come to us, We are all about it. We want you. You are our front runner to us. We just need to know if you want to be with us because we're on board. Russ is on board. Everybody everybody wants to do it. It just all depends on you. One thing that is interesting is one of the teams that isn't or that is in the race supposedly so far is the Arizona Cardinals, but they are looking to shop DeAndre Hopkins. So it's going to be interesting. If, Car- if the Cardinals are even a realistic chance at this point, because it's moving towards Denver. Denver is having a second interview ske- to schedule with Sean Payton. Cardinals have some intriguing assets to work with, but the fact that they are looking to maybe move on from DeAndre Hopkins, to me, that makes Arizona even an even less desirable place. Not having Kyler to start the season would worry me. Now, granted... And him, you're, you're looking long term, not just in 2023. Correct. But I mean, who who are you gonna who are you gonna play at quarterback? Colt McCoy, Trace McSorley. Yeah, he throws it on a dime. Like, do you do you really trust those guys to lead a team for six weeks? Because I sure as heck don't. So that would be a red flag for me if I'm Sean Payton. Denver makes a ton of sense for multiple parties. 
Russ wants Sean. The Broncos want Sean. The Saints want Denver's pick. Draft capital. <laughs> Granted, I would rather 12 than 29. Of course. But you could package 29 and whatever you, know, you get from third, this trade. And you could move up to, I don't know, 15? Like, there, there's moves you could make, especially if, you know, the, the Saints are talking about trading Michael Thomas. Man, you, you package Michael Thomas with the 29th, you could make a jump. A, a pretty a pretty significant one, I might think. Like, borderline top 10. So, Denver just makes a lot of sense. I think Sean Payton would love being in Denver. It's a division that I feel like Denver could be the second place team in. Uh, I mean, I don't see anybody dethroning Kansas City anytime soon, but Denver could be that team that consistently competes with Kansas City and who knows, maybe catches them one year, wins both of those games and doesn't slip up anywhere else, and who knows. But but the AFC, the AFC West feels like a division that can be won by the Broncos. Russell Wilson still has a couple of good years left. Obviously, you would have to figure out a plan for for post Russell Wilson, but and that's way that's down way the down the line. You don't need to worry about that right now. The receivers look great. Mm-hmm. You got a great young back in Javante Williams. You've got a great defense. Like, things could be things could be churning in, in Denver if Sean Payton's ready for that. They they are the most ready to win now team. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and just. Looking at, at some of the other stories regarding Sean Payton, obviously he has another meeting scheduled with Carolina, but that could change depending on what happens over the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, but the the possibility that he returns to broadcasting has not been ruled out. That is still in, in the cards for for Sean Payton. Now the, the question has become, if he does return to Fox, how does that affect the Saints' leverage in, in this situation. Personally, I don't think that it affects it much. I think it just delays it a year. Because Sean Payton's under contract until the end of 2024. So still two more full seasons that he is under contract in New Orleans. So next offseason, the Saints could still trade him for just as much as they're going to trade him for this offseason. I don't think their leverage in this changes at all. I really don't. Um, I, I still think even even next offseason you could still get a first round pick for Sean Payton. Now, that's just my opinion. Obviously, some people can can disagree with that. Um, but a, again, I just Sean Payton is the type of coach that I think any team in this league would pay a first round pick for. He has proven history of success. He's won a Super Bowl. He's he should have went to another one, thanks to thanks to an egregious no call. He's he's a successful coach. So I, I feel like any team would be willing to to pay the value that the Saints ask for as long as it's reasonable. But speaking of the New Orleans Saints before we end hour number one, thirteen years ago today, there was a football game in New Orleans between the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings with a trip to the Super Bowl 
on the line. You go to overtime, fourth down from the 24, and in comes Garrett Hartley. Snap, placement, kick by Hartley, and it is, it is good! It's good! It's good! <laughs> Pigs have flown! Hell is frozen over! The Saints are on their way to the Super Bowl! The weight that comes off of Jim Henderson's shoulders when he's screaming, it's good. The, there, there was just a sigh of relief in that moment. Like, finally. Like, thank God. Like, this finally happened. Speaking of Saints-related news, the Atlanta Falcons are interviewing uh, current co-defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen to try and fill that vacant job yep. for them. That's his second defensive coordinator interview. Because um, I believe he interviewed with Chicago or, or some one, – one of the northern NFC teams requested an interview with him earlier this week. Um, yeah, Ryan Nielsen and Chris Richard are both probably going to be sought after for vacant defensive coordinator positions. So might not need to be co-OCs next year in – New Orleans. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, only going to be 30 minutes. We're going to chat with Justin McLeod of Extra Inning Softball, previewing LSU, Louisiana, and McNeese. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Crunch Time right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home. For the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros, we're back after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time is here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337 one one and here at Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast stadium 32.3 and channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Hope everyone is staying safe in this severe weather rolling into our area. In hour number one, we recapped LSU women's basketball, extending their win streak to 20, now sitting at 20 and 0, top four in the country. We also previewed LSU men's basketball as they prepare to take on Arkansas. Tonight, pregame at 5.30, tip-off set for 6. You can hear it right here on the game. But we're getting into February, which means the Diamond Sports are upon us. Softball starting first with most teams kicking off the weekend of February 10th and 11th. Let's talk about the three schools in our area with LSU, Louisiana, and McNeese with our guy Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball. Justin, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I appreciate it. It's always fun. I'm doing well. How about you guys? Oh, doing well, man. Thanks for asking. So we'll start, you know, let's look at McNeese last season going to the Northwestern Regional, really playing well there with Northwestern and Notre Dame going all the way to Regional Sunday and just falling a little bit short. Now you return under under James Landrino once again. Only three seniors on this roster Tons of freshman additions. You know, what's kind of the outlook for for the Cowgirls here in 2023? Yeah, I think McNeese raised a lot of eyebrows with how they started the NCAA tournament last year. I mean, putting 10 runs on a team like Notre Dame, as as what most of the country saw as a program they weren't familiar with, a no-name to some people. 
And I think McNeese no longer is a no-name. Um, McNeese had a really good regular season and then that postseason experience, getting to that regional final going further than they've gone before. I actually really like what they what they have coming into 2023. I think, you know, McNeese is one of those programs that, you know, so a lot of coaches, a lot of teams will say, hey, we're going to play big opponents. We want it. It'll make us better. Well, McNeese is one of those that they actually do get better from playing the big opponents that they play, whether they play them at home, whether they play them on the road, neutral site, whatever it is. They really improve, and, and I think as a whole the program's improved because of that. I like the depth that McNeese brings back. You mentioned they do have a lot of youngsters, but I like the veterans they have um, in the pitching circle. You know, Ashley Vallejo, Whitney Tate, two really solid arms. I actually really like McNeese. I, th- I mean, I think they're the clear favorite in the Southland, but I think they have a chance at making some noise on a national level. Um, if the cards fall right, they've got some games against opponents that you know can certainly make them headlines once again. I actually really like McNeese going into this year. And then how important was it for James Landrino to add an assistant like Shelby Sinceri, who has experience you know, at the highest levels of college softball playing with LSU for as long as she did? Well, anytime you, you can add somebody, especially who had that level of success in-state, it's huge. Um, McNeese does a good job of bringing in kids, or I shouldn't say kids, players from you know Louisiana and Texas kind of thing, and, and bringing in somebody like Shelby Sinceri, who's got the resume she does as a player, even though she's never coached before, just graduated after last season, you know, bringing in somebody with that name recognition, with that LSU pedigree, you know, played under Beth Terrina at LSU, et cetera, um, that, that's huge. It makes, it makes a big difference in recruiting. And, you know, honestly, I think it has a chance of making a big impact on the McNeese pitching staff, too. Going over to LSU now, 34-23 and 23 last year, made it to the – Made it into the NCAA tournament, fell to San Diego State and, and Cal State Fullerton out west at Arizona State. But, you know, really just the wheels kind of fell off for, for them late in the year, losing their last four games of the season. But now, you know, they come back under Beth Torino once again, have another strong roster. Ali Caponin talked about um, Taylor Pleasance, Danica Coffey, Georgia Clark. You know, they're, they're five big returners, Sierra Briggs as well. And then you bring in some big newcomers like Carly Petty, a transfer from Oklahoma State. You bring in Macy Bergeron, the catcher position, who's been committed to LSU for years now. And her high school best friend, Abigail Savoy, who's also one of the top players in the country. Yeah, honestly, in the SEC, I think LSU's got one of the strongest rosters of anybody. You know, some people will look at last year's finish and say, oh, well, LSU's down and out. They had been to the World Series the next how many years. I really don't think they are. I really like LSU's roster. Um, you mentioned a lot of the names right there. Throw Sierra Briggs in there, the gold glover in the outfield. Um, that's a really strong group of veterans, and that's important because the last couple of years, there's been a group of youngsters. Even, you know, the Taylor Pleasant, who seems like she's been there half a decade at this point. You know, she still only had a couple of years under her, but well, now she's a veteran. Now she's one of the upperclassmen. And that whole group that you mentioned there, they've been there for a minute. And I think that's going to be possibly the most valuable piece of the puzzle for LSU this year is you're no longer a bunch of, of kids. You're no longer a bunch of rookies. You're no longer a bunch of youngsters. Now you've got a lot of veterans. And then you can throw in, like you talk about, those highly touted freshmen, even the sophomores who came in last year. I really like the mix of veterans and youngsters this year. And I'm not going to lie, I think the talent is deep enough that the chip on the shoulder that I think LSU is going to have based on that early exit from the NCAA tournament last year, 
I think the talent level is deep enough to back up them really playing with that chip on their shoulder and honestly it driving them. Now looking at LSU's schedule, what kind of stands out to you? You know, they play Utah, they go out west to play Michigan, Minnesota, San Jose State, Cal Poly, uh, and then, of course, the LSU-UL crossover where they'll play the Raging Cajuns twice. I mean, in the last couple of years, LSU's had such a tough schedule. It's been a gauntlet. And, I, you know, there were times where I felt like that was a positive because it gave them that experience in the pressure situations, et cetera. At the same time, it can be hard when you, when you lose some of those games. You know, got to make sure you don't get too down and out. This schedule this year, I think, is a really nice balance for LSU. You have some teams such as the Utahs, even Oregon State, in opening week that was in the World Series last year. So you've got some of those teams. You mentioned Michigan out west as well. Okay, those are going to be tough games. Those are going to be top opponents or power five opponents. What are you going to do against them? How are you going to fare? But at the same time, it's not a constant drive. Okay, another big one, another big one, another big one. You've got room. You know, you've got get-back games, as I call them. You've got games where you, know, you, can, you can get right and things like that. I really like the mix for LSU this year. I think they've got still those tough games to make sure they're not going into conference play untested. But at the same time, you know, they don't have so many that they're going to go into conference play bogged down, I guess you would say. Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball joining us here on Crunch Time. Where do you think the ceiling is for, for LSU softball in 2023? You know, obviously postseason is, is expected, but how far of a run do you think this team can make? I honestly think this team is capable of a deep postseason run, mainly relying on that roster depth and the experience at this point. I think this is an LSU team that on paper, I think they could, they could make a World Series run. I really do. But the thing for me with LSU is I need to see them prove it. After the last couple of years, just, you know, good rosters didn't quite get their last year, obviously disappointing exit. I think the ceiling's very high, but I need to see the results on the field. Um, and if they're there early, I think they could be in for a fun ride. And then, you know, a little closer to home for us, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns coming in after a 47-13 and season in 2022, falling short in the Clemson Regional, you know, yesterday – local media met with the softball team for media day and, and stormy Kotzelnik told us that they left Clemson feeling like a message was undelivered. Now 10 players returned from that team. You bring in a ton of top talent as well. Uh, Jerry Glasgow's group looks poised to make, like you just mentioned with LSU, a pretty deep postseason run. Actually, I agree. Um, you know, this is not the most talented roster that Jerry Glasgow's had at UL. Um, you think about some of the transfers in the SEC that he's had over the years. This is not the deepest talent pool, but I think this might be the best roster he's had, the best chance for success. Um, you know, those transfers made an impact, obviously had a big impact, and they were big names and they made a difference. But one thing throughout Jerry Glasgow's career as a coach he's always been very good at was the recruiting. And these are his recruits. This is, this is, this is back to his bread and butter. The youngsters that are coming in, he picked them kind of thing. And there's some real talent on that roster. Returners, um, youngsters, even the veterans who are there. You mentioned Kotzelnik. You know, I think about in the circle how strong UL is. Um, I think this is the best roster to be primed to make a postseason run, honestly, that Glasgow's had since he got there. How often, Justin, do you see a team that has their three starting pitchers from a year ago all back in the circle? Well, first of all, there's not a lot of teams who can claim three starting pitchers most of the time. No. <laughs> I mean, that, that in and of itself is pretty rare, even in today's changing softball world. Um, but when you do have them, it, it doesn't happen very often at all. Um, and I think, I think that honestly is the biggest strength 
um, for, for UL this year is their strength in the circle. Um, those, those three arms, I think, are among uh, – honestly, I'd put all three of them in the top five in the conference. And that's really saying that even for a program as traditionally strong as UL, that's still saying something in a conference now as strong as the Sun Belt. Um, and, but I really think those arms are that good. And that's a place I think that UL can rely on in this season. I think it's going to be a humongous benefit to them. One one player coming into this program that a lot of people in this area are talking about is Maya Davis, a freshman outfielder from Texas. She was a high school All-American last year. I've been told that she can step in and make an immediate impact. What do, what do you know about Maya Davis? I haven't seen her play, to be fair. But from what I hear about her, I hear a lot of the same thing um, from the recruiting the recruiting trail, I guess, during your know, travel ball days and that kind of stuff. And I've heard some good things about her in the fall. Um, that's the kind of weapon, though, that UL needs. You, you put somebody like that in the lineup, really give them a well-rounded, balanced offensive attack, that's a huge difference maker. That, 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 that one little puzzle piece can you know, sometimes be the one that you need to finish the puzzle, and hey, it looks exactly like the box. Justin, as we kind of start to wrap up here, looking at the Cajuns' schedule, uh, that second weekend of the season when they head to Clearwater, Florida for the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational, how beneficial do you think that tournament's going to be playing teams like Indiana, Michigan, Oklahoma State, UCLA, Florida State? I mean, it could go one of two ways. It could be very beneficial or it could be very harmful. Um, and, and it's true, it could end up somewhere in the middle. I, I personally think it's going to be more beneficial than anything because I think the Cajuns have a chance at at least pulling a game out of somebody like in Arkansas, Florida State, maybe even in Oklahoma State or UCLA. Um, and and a one win like that will be a difference maker for the entire season because those are some good teams that are going to finish very high in the national standings at the end of the year. Um, I, a trip like that, to with the crowd that the Clearwater Tournament brings in, the atmosphere there, um, UL's first trip to that tournament, the, the, the whole package is going to make a big impact because if they emerge from that weekend even – and I know Cajun fans would like to see six and zero, would like to see five and one. To be honest, if they emerge from that weekend three and three, I think that's an absolute home run for the Cajuns, and I think it sets them up so well for the rest of the season. Um, and, and I think that even from the losses, you're going to glean some stuff when you're playing teams like you mentioned, UCLA and Oklahoma State and things like that. Um, I think it's a big weekend, but I don't think it's just okay wins and losses. I think it's a big weekend for a lot of reasons. Yeah, no, I, I agree that that's going to be a, a massive – if you can go 500 while, while in Florida, that would be a massive step in the right direction, not just in terms of, of confidence and momentum, but RPI and, and rankings would just pay dividends for, for Jerry Glasgow's team. Justin McLeod joining us here on the Game Hotline. Justin, appreciate you as always. Uh, softball is back. Don't, uh, don't work yourself too much, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. I appreciate it. I always enjoy it. Thanks, guys. And there he goes, Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball. Again, the the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational featuring 16 of the top programs in the country. The Cajuns will play seven games while on that weekend trip. And uh, you can catch them all on the ESPN family of networks. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. And when we return, we will update the poll question. And James and I will give you our own takes on the New Orleans Pelicans and LSU versus Arkansas tonight from Bud Walton Arena. You are listening to Crunch Time right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Now that you scored an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, use it to listen to the game on it. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All you got to do is ask Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana, and it's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The New Orleans Pelicans have announced that Zion Williamson's hamstring injury has been re-evaluated, and the re-evaluation shows that his hamstring is healing as expected, and he is progressing well with his recovery. He will continue to rehab and will be re-evaluated in two weeks. And according to head coach Willie Green, he absolutely views this news as a positive for the Pelicans. Also, Brandon Ingram could be returning as soon as this week from a toe injury that has sidelined him for the last two months. So, the struggling New Orleans Pelicans could be getting back on track, maybe? But speaking of the NBA, James, are your Boston Celtics frauds? They're the top team in the East. Some people call them the top team in the NBA, but they lose to the Orlando Magic three times? Three times in a row. They had won the first time, what? but the last three matchups. What gives? Because the Magic aren't very good. No, they are not very good. And that's what is very frustrating about seeing each of these losses. The first two were back-to-back games on a Friday and a Sunday. And then they lost this last one last night. I feel like there might have been maybe a little extra motivation with... Well, yeah, Jonathan Isaac returned, and you know that's that's big. It's been... I think I, think I saw the last time he played was May of 2020 inside Correct. the bubble. Yep. He had tore his ACL in the bubble. Yeah, and and he hasn't played since then. Correct. First um, game since then. I mean, so, I mean, it's been almost three years. I didn't even recognize him on the court last night. Um, now, obviously, I, I, I call them frauds jokingly. jokingly. I, I don't believe that the Celtics are frauds. I still think that they're the top team in the East, and it's, not, it's really not even close. They have a four-game lead on the Sixers right now. But it, it is interesting to, to kind of look at, at those games. And now I know in today's NBA, there's, you know, load management and, and players take nights off for rest. And sometimes they'll be in the game, but they're not playing at 100% because, oh, you know, it's a bad team. We don't really need the win here, blah, blah, blah. Could last night have been one of those nights? Maybe. maybe Probably. A, maybe a little bit. Um with the Celtics, I do know that Jason Tatum is trying to kind of nurse a, a wrist injury. Correct. And then Jalen Brown recently came back from another, another injury himself that took him out for either a game or two. It wasn't very long, but still had an injury that had him be out for a game. And then you look at the New Orleans Pelicans. They're struggling. I saw Ali Cassell on Twitter. He had, he had actually kind of brought up a little statistic. Looking over the last 12 games... The offensive and defensive ratings haven't looked great because no. first quarter, offensively, the Pels are 18th, but defensively, they're 20th. Second quarter, offensively, they're 28th, 
But then defensively, they're 19th. Third quarter, they're 21st. Whereas on defense, they're 26th. And then for the fourth quarter, it's just ugh. As they're 28th offensively and 26th. Yeah, they haven't been able to finish out games. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's crazy to think about this, right? We're talking about how the Pelicans are struggling. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They've lost four straight games. Yet they're still in fourth place in the Western Conference. Yeah, Western Conference, they don't... Which is wild. Nobody can step up. Because, so you know, usually when you look at the Pelicans being 3-7 and seven in their last 10, okay, well, you know, they're 12th. In the Western Conference, they're hanging out right now. They, they're normally hanging out where the Lakers and Trailblazers are right now. But for us to be nitpicking at them as a top four team in the West feels really good. But tonight, they're matched up with the number one seed, Denver Nuggets. The big dogs. Nikola Jokic, well on his way to winning his third straight MVP award. You also have Jamal Murray. Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, which that guy came out of left field. Uh, his, his career kind of died a little bit in Orlando, but he is he has resurged a little bit with the Denver Nuggets. Um, and Michael Porter Jr., I mean, he has been every bit that I thought he was going to be coming out of high school when he went to Missouri. Uh, th- that back injury sidelined him for his entire college career, but he has really become the the player that was ex- he was expected to be. The, the Nuggets are a dangerous matchup for the Pels, especially without Zion and B.I. I would love to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, the Pelicans are going to win. They're, they're going to, you know, they're going to find a way to, to beat the Nuggets. I just, I just don't believe that. I mean, Nikola Jokic is a center that is averaging 10 assists a game. Excuse me? How? You want to talk about bully ball? Look. Give me the ball, and when guys come in to help, I'll kick it back out to you. You can knock down the three. I mean, that's money. That's all game. 25 points, 11 boards, 10 assists. He's averaging a triple-double. Oh, I'm sorry, not 10 assists, 9.9. I think think it's fair that we can round up and say 10. The man is averaging a triple-double. That is absurd. Three straight MVP awards? Put him in the Hall of Fame now. Nikola Jokic is that dude. James, there's no way the Pelicans win without Zion and B.I. No. I mean, me just rattling off those ratings. Then you have to play the number one team in the West who's won nine of their last ten. It's not going to look good tonight. No. No, it's not. Uh, It is absolutely not. Tip-off in that game is set for 7 o'clock. We've been talking about the severe weather coming into the area. Just want to update. Officially, there has been a tornado watch for this area until 1 a.m. So again, if you can avoid being out on the roadways, do so at all cost. Let's update the poll question of the day. Which coach remaining in the playoffs do you trust the most? So far, 60% of you saying Andy Reid, 20% of you saying Kyle Shanahan, 16% saying Zach Taylor, and the other 4% going to Nick Sirianni. Again, I really like what Nick Sirianni has done in Philadelphia, but it's just too little 
The sample size is too small. I'm going to have to see more of it before I can sit here and say I would trust him with my franchise in, in the playoffs. But guys like Zach Taylor, Kyle Shanahan, Andy Reid, even Zach Taylor a little bit is uh, is a is a stretch because of just the lack of uh, lack of experience. But man, Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid, next level head coaches in, in what they've been able to do, especially in the postseason. But all right, James, LSU and Arkansas tonight. Inside Fayetteville, LSU is a 12-and-a-half-point dog in this one. I mean, the, the, the Tigers got to get something going. There's not much to work with. I mean, poor shooting, turning the ball over, not being great on the boards. It's, it's not a recipe for success by any stretch of the imagination. And then you have to play a Arkansas Razorback team that is looking to get revenge after what happened. Because yep. they're, they're the last win that LSU's had. Correct. Back in 2022. We haven't seen this LSU team win in 2023 yet. Correct. It, it's been a struggle. It's bleak. It's now, looking bleak right now. Now, look, here's the thing. Like like we talked about, you're not going to build a program in a day. No. It's just not going to happen. But you would have you would probably would have hoped to see more positives out of this group than you've seen, which is which is a concern. But again, you know, losing Justice Hill for however long it will be puts a puts a concern in things. Adam Miller not panning out quite the way you may have expected him to changes things. Moani Wilkinson going down for the year. There's a lot of youth. There's a lot of inexperience. And then the other thing, when you look at this roster, a lot of these guys never played in the SEC until this year. So that's another big key. SEC basketball... We we always we always joke about the SEC saying it just means more, but it's it's different. The SEC and the Big Twelve are, are are different than just about every other basketball conference. So it's one of those things where they're going to have to learn how to to play against these types of teams. Want to thank Matthew Bruni and Justin McLeod for joining us today. For James Mash, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, please be safe. Be well. Hug your mom and them, and we'll be back tomorrow, four to six right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Let's send it to Fayetteville now with LSU legend John Brady and the voice of the Tigers, Mr. Chris Blair. LSU and Arkansas right here on the game.